Good morning. It is Monday, May 3rd, 7.21 a.m. I hope y'all had a good week. I know I did. It was insanely busy. Um, I mailed out a ton of packages. Uh, it was a lot. <laughs> a lot of packages, a lot of shipping. Um, and yeah, sewing... You know, you know the drill. Um, I did get to do some shopping that had some semblance of like before the quarantine. Um, on Saturday, there was an estate sale in the upper, I guess, past Diamond Heights. So it was on Fountain Street. Um so it's kind of like where you just keep going up the hill, like past Noe Valley, past Diamond Heights. And then like you kind of hit the highway almost. That's where it was. It was like maybe a block or two down from where they have that underpass thing. Um, it was in an elegant house. I was there because there had been advertised a silk wedding gown from the 1850s um I hadn't had anything from that era in my collection in a very long time um I think the last thing I'd had was a bonnet like four years ago and I believe this was French made um this it was <laughs> I saw the picture on Craigslist and I was like I need to go there and get it um so yeah, I they were giving out wristbands and to the first 20 people that got there and I was number 12. And then I went and took a walk. I was like it's time to get some exercise. So I walked for a bit and then I came back about 15 minutes prior to opening and this woman was there who got the number 13 tag. And then other people started showing up and saying that they were there before me. And number 13 tag lady was trying to say that she got there before me. And I was like, no, that's not possible. Um, I didn't explain myself any further because that is one thing. Just avoid explaining yourself to people. You're giving yourself, you're giving the other person way too much power too much information and they're only going to use that information to fuck with you or try to like take something from you so just you know I referred her to the woman who was running the sale I said well you could talk to the lady who runs the sale maybe she could tell you a little bit more about that and she was getting really flustered um for some reason she really didn't want me to be in front of her um, and then the other guy who claimed he was number 12 had written his name on a paper list, which was invalid, actually. Sometimes at these estate sales, people will, someone will get the bright idea to make their own list, their own waiting list. It has nothing to do with the system of the way the estate sales run. It's just this arbitrary list so they can take ownership of, you know, there's place in line. It gets it gets kind of like cutthroat, you know. So the the owner of the sale or the 
you know, the what is it, coordinator of the sale came out and she said, okay, your list is invalid. The list is invalid. Anyone who wrote on that, their names on there, you have to just stand in line. And then number 13 said, she's number 12. And the lady said, yep, she's number 12. And it's like, she got here and I gave her number 12. And then after you, after she came, you came and then I gave you number 13. And then there was a security guard guy who was making sure that nobody got in line or did any crazy stuff. And he had to explain to her that, yep, I was in, in front of her. And then I started to realize she must have thought that I was going to take what she was going to take or whatever. She wasn't concerned about anyone else ahead of her. She was just concerned about me. And I thought, that's very strange. Then we get inside and she blocks the door where the clothing is. She's like, sorry. And I said, you got to move, honey. I'm not even looking at what you're looking at. And she let me through. I was just there to get the wedding dress. And I bought a bonnet too. And she, meanwhile, was piling up all the ugliest, like the whoever lived there most recently who passed on. I wouldn't say the clothes were ugly per se, but they were meant for, you know, <clears throat> an older woman. It was a lot of like Weston wear and Chico's and Coldwater Creek. You know, those are labels that I tend to avoid. Um, and I avoid them just because the cuts are very matronly. And she was just loading up on the, all the old lady clothes. And I was like, okay, honey. Um, it was it was hilarious. I was like, I don't want any of those clothes at all, you know. She's very presumptuous. And if she sees me again, I think that I'll, I'll just ignore her and give her less information. Um because, yeah, that was really ridiculous. It, it was strange to see someone be visibly, like, act visibly, like, upset that you're ahead of them. Even though there were, you know, 11 other people ahead of me, she she really singled in on me being ahead of her. It was, it was very silly. Um, I also, at the same sale, I got a miniature portrait which I love miniature portraits. Um, this was of a mother and her child. The child is ambiguous. It could be a boy or a girl. But, um, so I think it's a pretty young child because it's dressed in like a little smock type thing. Um, it's two inches by three inches. It's on, painted on ivory. It's signed Pesney, which Pesney is, I forget his first name. It was like, anyway, it's early. Um, he was a portrait artist. He was French and German, and he painted a lot of bigwigs in the 18th century. I don't think that he would have signed it on there. I think somebody from is the same style of, of painting because he was the most famous at the time signed 
a name Pesney attributed it to it. So sometimes it's good to just err on when you're like determining like a value or something. Sometimes it's er good to err on the side of like the least value until you get more info. But the the case that it's in has a glass plate over it and it has this hand finished wooden border that's kind of tortoiseshell like and the back is leather. Um, so yeah, I hope that somebody can tell me more about it. I'm happy with the purchase. Um, yeah, and then I went home. I had these like Korean chewy dumpling noodles that were really good for dinner. And I decided to go to the flea market with Andrew, even though there's the the Trump debacle. Um, but I also, it was important for me to go to the flea market because it was the first opening of it since the pandemic. So it had been shut for over a year. And I'm glad I went. Um, our mutual friend, Aaron, drove us. And Aaron is a occult books and tarot card dealer. He sells, uh, sells them used. Um, so yeah, we got there at 6.30. And we were there until noon. And it was great to see all the old vendors. I didn't see Andrew again until we reconvened at the end of the sale. Um, and yeah, I got lots of stuff to make jewelry with and then just some nice jewelry, costume jewelry, a big old Bosch book, um, a, a beautiful like pearlized shell, which I'm really into putting those pearlized shells on my altar, you know, like a Nautilus shell or any kind that, I guess, I think they strip the, the top layer of the shell to reveal the pearl under underside. But I just love them so much. I'm obsessed. Um, so now I have four in my collection. I'm very happy about it. <laughs> um... And it was really nice to see all the the old vendors. Um, at one point, I was there's this couple that sells Alamani. I mean Alameda that are just they're sweet. They they don't really have a clue of like the value of what they're selling. They're just trying to get rid of it, or they're selling it for their daughter is what they say. Um, they're very sweet. I've gotten some really valuable stuff from them before in the past. Um, and I got some nice jewelry from them. And as I was, you know, getting my items packaged by the wife, the husband pointed to my tattoos on my hand and he was about to touch me. <laughs> and I said, don't touch. And so then he, he didn't, but he proceeded to ask me some questions and he said, may I ask, is your tattoo from Taiwan? Is it Taiwanese? And I said, 
nope. And then he said, you're a very spiritual person. I can tell you're very spiritual. And I said, hmm, yeah, well, sometimes, but not always. <laughs> um, just like anyone else. And then he, then he said, I see someone. I see someone, Ronald. Ray, Rrr. and he kept naming off all these like men's names beginning with R, and I was just like, he's like they have a very they're very strong in your life, and I have, um, how do I say this? I've had sex with like several men with R first names. I'll just leave it at that. Everybody has because it's so common. I was, and I just said, yeah, you know, those are, our names are, those are all pretty common names. So that, you know, I didn't, I didn't say like, Hey, I've had sex with Ronald. Um, but I was just like, um, yeah, you know, I've known some people that have ours in their names and you know, it's pretty common. Um, but I, I wouldn't say they're all strong in my life or something. Um, and then, he goes, you have two daughters. And I said, nope. He said, are you sure? Which I thought was really funny. I was like, yeah. Um, but I have a cat. She's very spoiled. And he's like, boy or girl? And I said, so girl cat. It was getting really funny to me. It was like... I thought it was one of the funniest things that I'd experienced in a long time. <laughs> Just like the psychic. I mean, I, of course, believe in spiritual things and psychic stuff, but it was, it was missing the mark a little bit. Um, but it was really funny to me, especially the thing about my cat. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, was out in the sun for a long time and got a lot of walking in. And then we went to In-N-Out Burger and, you know, I was talking with Andrew and I just, we were there and I, I just said, you know, we brought up Nathaniel, his name has been changed. And I said, yeah, you know, I, because he, he was complaining about him as a roommate. And I said, yeah, you know, I had to distance myself from you guys because, you know, Gabe went really hard on the Donald Trump thing. And in fact, the fact that he has any leanings toward him at all really turned me off. I'm oh, sorry, I used the wrong name. <laughs> Nathaniel. Um, it really turned me off as a friend and... Andrew said that it bothered him too. And that Nathaniel's mother was really upset about it as well. And I don't know, maybe he's had time to, to think about the impact, you know, of his association. Um, but also 
you know, seeing Andrew there face to face, like, you know, he's just, I don't think he's doing so well physically and I don't think he's just doing as well in general. And I hope he does better, but I, I don't know. It, it's complicated. And I needed to go to the flea market. But also, I, I, I wonder about his, his judgment on, on larger matters. Like, I think he's easily swayed or something. Which concerns me. But I don't know. It's still complicated. Not as not as complicated as with Nathaniel, though. You know. Um, yeah, Andrew kept saying, "You got to come to Cincinnati and stay." And I just, I don't think I will be staying there or going there. Oh well, such is life. Then I went home and organized the stuff that I got and I made a big salad um I've had since I had like In-N-Out burger and a bunch of like had a big old sausage and stuff I was like if I have any other kind of salted fatty meaty thing I'm just gonna explode so it was good to have a big salad um I like to lately I've just been trying to eat as much vegetables as I can in the salad. So it's just like a bunch of lettuce, one heirloom tomato, um, three carrots and one cucumber. And I just chop it up and ranch dressing. And last night I made vinaigrette and, um, yeah, down the old hatch. Yeah. And now I've got a ton of shipping to do like, ugh, not as much as last Monday. Last Monday was 31 packages. Um, and then the total packages that went out were, it was like 30, it was like 60 something packages that went out for the week. Um, there's really no way around it. I hope to get someone that I can hire someone to help me with it that I could trust. Oh Lord. It's it's such a strange world we're in and it's so it's so strange like being in this like watching the the business I'm in escalate you know um I read a horrible article about thrifting it was probably one of the worst pieces I've ever read about my business that I'm in um and it's on, if you want to check it out, it's on Vox.com under the goods category. So you go to Vox.com, click on more, then you go to the goods. And then from the goods um, category, there's something that's like Depop, how oh, gentrifying thrift shopping, how Depop made it problematic or something like that. Just, just a... You, the word problematic in itself is problematic in its overuse and lack of context. Um, but basically the author 
was interviewing and coming from the point of view that there's not enough clothes at the thrift stores and rich kids are just buying them up in bulk and then starting online shops. I was like, um, oh God. And they were like, what about the poor people that need the clothes? There was, there's so much wrong with that. It's like, well, first of all, you don't know what poor people want, obviously. Um, a poor person might have seen all those things and passed on them. Um, <clears throat> and poor people don't just shop at thrift stores. They, you know, there are other forms of consumption available to them if they're living in America. Um, so it was just a strange thing to assume that only poor people shop at thrift stores and also to assume the socioeconomic status of the people that were buying up large amounts of clothes at the, at the thrift store. Um, and like the focus was on like this, the style of, you know, like the late nineties Y2K um, style that is really prevalent on Depop and you know, a girl had bought a skirt at a thrift store for like seven bucks and then sold it for 40 bucks. Um, you know, and that, that includes, you know, the time and cost of shipping, of photographing it, the value of her brand, creating a context for the garment and the styling, like that's all that elevates the value of an item that was unwanted. Someone gave it away for free because they didn't want it and they didn't see the value in it. And there were people apparently going on TikTok tearing into this woman because she had made a profit on something that she got at a thrift store. And I just thought that was, it was so ludicrous. It's so ludicrous how, like, they're just assuming, assuming value, assigning value, and assigning, you know, class to people that you didn't interview or that you don't know was wild. It was so wild. Um, there's this thing, okay, first of all, there's this thing called, quote, the vintage community. Um, the vintage community is self-appointed um, people who see themselves as part of the, quote, vintage community. Um, and it's really funny to me because this is a business. And for some, it's a hobby. But for me, it's my business. And it's not a hobby at all. It's what I wake up and I, what I spend most of my time doing. Um, I don't have time for it to be my hobby as well. Okay. Um, and as far as there being a, there's no bureau of vintage dealers, you know, um, there's no like, you know, like other industries, there's like the restaurant association. There's nothing like that. 
So it, it's, it's a make-believe term for people who get their social fulfillment and self-validation from, from being part of a, quote, vintage community. Um, and it's wild. It's wild. Um, because there's a ton of, there's a ton of really good sellers that have been doing this for a long time that'll probably be doing this for the rest of their lives, like me. Um, selling, you know, vintage and antiquities. And then there's a bunch of people, especially with the pandemic, who have started vintage, quote, vintage stores, where they're not making an income from it. Their income does not, their livelihood does not depend on it. Um, they're hobbyists who are wishing to either liquidate an, a garment that they paid a lot of money for and are trying to get some money back. Um, or there's like the show and tell type vintage people who are also not making a living from it. And they just want to, you know, show off their clothes, which is fine. That's fine. But somehow it gets all lumped in. Everybody gets lumped in with each other. Um, and I have nothing against anyone. But I do not appreciate when someone who hasn't been thrifting for years and years, who doesn't depend on on thrifting and, you know, digging in a fucking rag bin where you might find a piece of poop or a severed head or having some, you know, unreasonable person like try to tell you that three comes before two weird shit like that someone who doesn't deal with that stuff who just started wearing a used garment like last year I don't need I don't need to have them define what can be you know economically viable or not it gives me a lot to think about um and I have been thinking a lot about it a lot since I read that article. Um, it's almost like sometimes people will be really resentful. Like if they, they see something that I like got from, you know, a garage sale or something like, you know, that they saw at the thrift store that I bought, cleaned, mended, photographed, and then sold. They'll contact me and they're like, did you get that from so-and-so or from, you know, such-and-such such place? And it's none of their damn business. It isn't. And it's like they're mad that I, that I'm earning a living and supporting myself with it. That I saw the beauty in the garment. And I make it more beautiful by cleaning it up and showing it off in a nice way. It's, it's so strange. Like, I wonder when people are saying, you're taking, there's another thing too. They're like, you're taking clothes from fat people. Someone's buying all the plus sized clothing at Goodwill. And now if we are plus sized and we want vintage, we have to, go through one of these shops. That's absolutely not true. I want to reassure anyone who feels that way. It may seem that way 
because the actual thrift stores can be pretty picked over. And believe me, some, some days I'll go out thrifting all day long and I won't find one fucking thing. So I understand your frustration. But there are so many clothes that are being thrown away. You have no idea, guys. Like anyone that thinks that, you know, some rich kid is taking all the clothes or whatever they think, it's inaccurate. Go to a rag bin sometime. Find the local rag bin in your area or salvage yard and just... You don't even have to go in if you don't want to, but just look at the back where they where they do the intake and you'll see piles and piles of clothes that are like three stories high. I'm not joking. And that's just that's just the tip of the iceberg. Those are the clothes that have been worn. Okay? Um brands like Burberry, just for example, just like a brand, many other brands discard hundreds and thousands of tons of clothing that is slightly either slightly um, irregular or clothing that doesn't sell clothing that is not um, taken up by the retailers like they make a whole bunch assuming that they're going to sell them in all the stores and then whoever passes on them then they're stuck with unsold product and then they eventually burn it there is a crisis there is a crisis right now happening that is contributing to major pollution in our physical environment and that is why fast fashion is so horrible and that's why it was not sustainable and that's why it's crumbling So if you see someone on your phone looking cute and making money and selling an unwanted garment and giving it life and making it desirable, let them sell their fucking clothes because that is a tiny, tiny, tiny bit of, it's not even part of the problem. It's just a tiny aspect of a newly emerging economy. Um, One of the other things I'd like to point out, too, is those those giant um, thrift store, online thrift stores like ThreadUp or RealReal or whatever, those will eventually go out of business. They will eventually become, and they probably already have their own rag bin and salvage. They will become their own spot. And trust me, they are selling their unwanted garments in massive bulk to mattress factories. They're sending them over to Africa, to El Salvador. They bundle them up. And then somebody, a wholesaler on one of the other continents or countries will buy that up and sell those at their, at their markets. Those will eventually go the wayside of fast, kind of like, they're like the fast fashion of thrifting. And they're basically right now just selling like fast fashion. Mostly fast fashion is probably a large percentage of what they're selling anyway. Um, And as far as, you know, quote, true vintage is concerned, 
that is something that people use to shame others and make make people who love wearing vintage clothes um, feel like they're part of a hierarchy or you know, at the high end or the low end of a pecking order. Um, Sometimes people will say vintage clothing is, you know, 20, has to be 20 years or older. Um, But vintage is like wine. Vintage is used to describe, of course, a particular grape crop that, that yielded a most excellent bottle. And that is the vintage. Not every bottle of wine is a vintage. Um, when the, when the wine is of, you know, exceptional taste and quality and there are all these factors that went into the cultivation of it, that's what makes something vintage. And that's how I look at what makes something vintage. I see so many ugly ass clothes from the forties, fifties, sixties, thirties, every decade that I pass on when I'm out that people try to sell me, you know what? Not every single thing is what I would consider to be vintage, even though it's old. I just see it as an ugly garment that survived this long because it was too ugly to wear in the first place. Um, but then I might see something that is from a newer maker, um, maybe a small design house or, um, you know, some, French boutique item and it's not that old but to me it's vintage because it's of exceptional quality and beauty and you can see that the maker had a real um, point of view they had an advanced aesthetic Um, and that would qualify to me as being a vintage piece and something that will only get better with time so it's there's so many there's so many gatekeepers out there. Um, there's so many people that think there's nothing left for them. There's plenty of things left for you. And yes, item garments from certain decades are falling apart because that is, is time and some of them are more rare and valuable. But only only get something only buy something if you're out like thrifting, even if you're just like you know not making money or anything, only get something that you think is beautiful. And if you're selling something, only sell things that you think are beautiful and that you particularly like. Otherwise, you're just going to end up with a miniature warehouse in your own house full of shit that you don't want. And you know where that's going to end up? That's going to end up at a fucking rag bin. So pardon my French. I really hope that people can see the big picture. I'm grateful that the the business I'm in is growing and that, that it's being taken seriously enough. Um, and I hope that it, it, that people see the validity of the resale market enough to compose more informed articles. Um, one of the customers from painted bird, her name is Jen. She is, working on her thesis all about the bins and thrifting and vintage and her articles that she's written are fantastic and I can't wait to read her book anyway I have got to start shipping thank you for listening to my diatribe I was just like 
it's been on my mind a lot because there's been a lot of people just wilding, you know, it just acting. I feel like there's like a lot of jealousy um, when they see in this, when they see somebody being successful or like creating value when they it's kind of comes down to that when they see someone creating value and and watch as they watch other people contribute to that value by consuming it people sometimes people don't like it they get jealous of that all right bye